0: Hey, this is Gary. This is Mike. And Daniel. We're not professionals. We're just three addicts sharing our experiences, strength, and hope regarding recovery.
1: Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Welcome to another episode of the 12th Step Podcast. My name is Gary. And this is Daniel. Well, Daniel. Yes, we're missing Mike, but we're making up for it because we have a special guest. Yes, we do. Uh, tonight we have joining us Shane, who is our mutual
0: therapist, therapist yeah. friend,
1: benefactor,
0: guide. And we, we've had multiple uh, you know, individuals reach out and ask us to bring him on, which he's been on before. Um, so we're bringing him back on. We're glad Since to Since Mike him is not with us this evening.
2: I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Um never ever wondered what it might be feel like what it might feel like to fill Mike's shoes but it's a scary thought
1: <laughs> well oh, well I hadn't <laughs> had that thought until now and I don't think I'm gonna thank you for it <laughs> well guys we're yes. going we're going to address we've had a couple of our listeners reach out and and uh, give us some really good questions and uh, different topics for discussion yes and so we thought we would invite Shane to kind of weigh in on some of these things. And so we're going to go ahead and get started with one. Okay. All right. The question reads as follows. I know I messed up with my wife due to my addiction. It's been two years since I've had any issues, but when is enough enough? When does she stop continually holding it over my head?
0: That's... Well, I mean that's a that's a rough one. Like,
1: uh, I, there's a lot to <clears throat> unpack.
0: There because, is. I mean, the the first question I would ask is like, how long has been he been acting out? You know, has it been 17 years and he's expecting her to, you know, be happy in two?
1: Well, yeah. Well, and there's, like I said, there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, my first thought, the first thought that came to my mind is, you know, when is enough? Uh, uh, the question that comes to my mind is, well, how long does it take? I said, mm-hmm. well, it's going to take the, as how long as it, it takes, yeah. right? you know, and there's a lot of factors that are coming into it that need to be considered. I mean, I think about what kind of work are you doing? How is that showing? What kind of work is she doing? What kind of work are you guys doing together? You know? Yeah. Uh, that, like I said, there's a lot to
0: unpack. Well, you know, and then there's not a lot of information either, because I know, at least from my personal experience, that I'm like, yeah, I was good for two years, but I really wasn't, <laughs> you know, and, you know, so there might be a little bit of that possibly going on, you know, maybe it has been white knuckling it, and he has made it to two years, which is amazing. But, you know, how much damage has been done prior to him attempting that, you know, how much betrayal trauma is there, you know, how how many things has he put her through, you know, it's not just a simple, Hey, I've checked boxes and now Mm -hmm. you should be good.
1: And do you know what? Um, you know, now, now having said that, which I think is true, I, we also probably ought to address, you know, how, how do I deal with, how can I exercise patience or how can I develop the skill to help the people in my life deal with those Mm -hmm. things, you know? Yeah. So, um, I'll tell you. I'll share a story, okay? I am, I am almost to ten years, starting to knock on the door. Ten years of, of sobriety, Mm -hmm. and I came home from work, not a couple weeks ago, and, my, my wife said I was a little bit behind my time. Now uh you know i work in retail so i was with a customer so i finished as soon as i finished up with the customer you know i clocked out gave her a call like i always do but it put me behind my time and this has happened a few times in the past and it hasn't been a problem for her but for whatever reason whatever was going on in her world she had a moment and she worried yeah and do you know what it was m- it was my privilege and my opportunity to, to reassure her and help her work through that and, and we discussed it and it actually turned out to be a really positive thing. Now do you know what? That might be down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I could be I could be into this 20, 30 years and something might come up and I still need to be willing to go through that process with her.
0: Yeah. I mean, these things come back up. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not in a situation where I can experience those things. But, you know, moving forward, I hope with my, my next relationship that I won't have to repeat those mistakes. But even then, you know, things, ha- things happen. I mean, like with my kids right now, I'm having to rebuild that relationship and those, these things still come up, mm-hmm. like things will be moving fairly well and then something will trigger them and then they're, they pull back and I have to wait until they will come talk to me or, or Want to reengage with me? Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's kind of you know similar where there must be something going on where she's not feeling safe mm-hmm. or it's triggering to her, so she's you know bringing it back up. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, sh- I have a little fun with my clients when I'm when I'm talking to them about these kind of things, and and as a uh, baseline, maybe mm-hmm. I share with them that. You really ought to not expect your spouse to trust or believe in you, or to even give you credit for the for the progress that you're making until you haven't done these behaviors longer than you did them.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: So my clients are usually <clears throat> in their 30s or 40s, um, which means most of them have started this addiction back when they were 10 or 11. They've been doing this 20 to 30 years. So I wouldn't expect my wife to have a whole lot of patience or or trust in my process until I haven't done these behaviors for 20 to 30 years. Now, that being said, uh, clearly that's somewhat in jest because it really won't take your, your wife that long to understand. But you guys are hitting on some really important points here. Um, most of my addicts don't realize how trauma works uh, and how betrayal trauma works. The fact that <clears throat> our wives have suffered the kind of of trauma that they've suffered when you when you map that or you chart that um, trauma doesn't just melt away Mm -hmm. because we haven't experienced trauma in a while trauma hits it hits its point and it stays there right Mm -hmm. until it's processed through until we've done the correct work and the amount of work and the type of work that needs to be done in order to help them resolve that trauma Um, as an addict if I'm not Holding space for that. If I'm not practicing that support model that we learn about in courageous love, if I'm, if I'm not holding space for her pain, then my reaction to those moments when she's upset or triggered, activated, um, I may be adding to her trauma, mm. and so. From a, from a therapist standpoint, uh, I, I would want all of the addicts out there to remember that recovery from this disease is a three to five year process. It takes that long for us to be able to heal your brain from the damage that's been done through the sexual addiction. So I believe you mentioned that, that he's been two years. Yeah, this that's what he said,
0: yeah.
2: Um, consider that. You know, when, as you're moving forward in your three to five years, uh, congratulations on the two years and keep that rolling. Certainly yeah, for sure. Keep doing what you're doing to, to maintain that, that effort towards sobriety. But remember that you still may not have the clarity of thought in your own recovery process that really helps you to understand your wife's trauma just yet. My hope is that she's receiving some, some therapy as well getting her own recovery hopefully from a CPTT therapist out there um, and that she's getting good support and good help uh, as well but remember that as an addict my my focal point has to be on creating space and holding space for her and her pain because i created this mess i can't fix this mess for her but i can hold space and be patient with her while she fixes herself
1: i think another thing that's important to remember is that um, You'll have a lot of issues or things like that that you need that you'll need to work through that you have to gain a certain level of healthy before you're ready to deal with it I, I remember I remember a really specific issue that I was three years into recovery before I felt like I had enough to deal with the issues I'm talking specifically of like when it came time to clean out the basement and really address some of the the hoarding issues in the basement that I had that were directly connected to my addiction. It took me three years of recovery before I felt like I had the the mental fortitude to actually address that. And then as I did that, that brought up its all of its own kind of things that need to be dealt with. So there's a process within it too. Another thing that comes to my mind is that um, when I started my recovery, my youngest son was like four years old. He's 14 now he's starting to ask questions and we're starting to have discussions because you know it's always been it's always been a uh, an open conversation in my home but you know he's now developed to the point where, where <clears throat> he's starting to have you know questions he's older he's starting to, to to you know he's turning into a young man there's he has a lot of questions he's inquisitive he has, yeah. yes he's inquisitive and he wants to understand and you know it's an open discussion in my home and so we discuss it yeah
0: well i mean i think it's really important for him to to understand he needs some patience you know Mm -hmm. she's she's trying to work through her own pain and trauma like shane said but more importantly just because you know you've done great for two years you know that doesn't equal out or balance out everything she's gone through as well as she, you know, her time to recover and to work through this isn't on the same timetable mm-hmm. a, as his. Um, you know, as much as we'd love that timetable to be the same, you know, everyone processes through things differently. So her timetable may be a lot slower than what yours has been. And as it, great as you want it to be and everything to be back to normal, it's not going to be normal. You know,
2: well, let's not go back to normal. Yeah, I was, yeah, was going to was comment pretty that. screwed up. Oh, <laughs> well, yeah.
0: I, I mean, that's the thing. That's what we want, but it, it can't go there. But but yeah. it's interesting that for a time that you,
1: you have those thoughts. Yes. I can't wait for things to go back to normal. It's like, well, do you know what? Everything you're doing, we're not going back. We're going forward to something new. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it's a little hard to get your head around it. I mean... I think we, I think we can all understand where this guy's coming from. I think yeah. we've all asked the questions: How long? Yeah, how how long? And I'm,
2: I think maybe a secondary piece to some of this too. Um, if this is somebody who has worked in the uh, Facing the Shadows workbook, mm-hmm. um, those provisional beliefs help us mm-hmm. to realize that, you know, for the time being, I I can't trust my own perspective. Yeah. I can't. Even the way that I see her, and the way that I view her emotions, the way I view her reactions, I can't trust what I have taught myself to believe about those. I need to accept feedback and insight and reality from my support network to help me understand what she's going through. So I think it's really important if if they haven't, um, if they have been working through the Facing the Shadows workbook, to make sure that they look back at those provisional beliefs and and reincorporate those i think it helps us to buy a little bit of time a little bit of understanding um, that maybe my my best thinking got me here and it's not going to be my best thinking that gets me out of these situations i need help from others i need to take on their perspectives yeah
1: i also think it's i also think it's um kind of hard it was really hard for me initially to get my head around the idea that when my wife would come and want to process with me pain it wasn't an attack on me it was yeah. about what she was feeling absolutely even though initially it might look like or feel like it was it was an attack on me yeah, yeah. no i was i definitely was guilty of that mm-hmm. yeah. and it, it took me it took me a while to kind of to kind of separate that you know she's giving me an opportunity to help clean up the mess that i made but in order for her but in order to do that, she has to tell me where the mess is or where mm-hmm. the hurt is. Yeah. yeah. You, you know what I mean? And it, it was kind of, once I got my head around the idea that sometimes she can talk about what I caused without it really having anything to do with me. It's all about
2: right. what I, she's experiencing. I think that's one of the tougher <clears throat> concepts to help an addict understand is that I created this mess, mm-hmm. right? I, I, in essence, broke her. hmm and with the empathy and the understanding and the the pain and the sadness that i feel having done that to her i want to turn that into let me fix it mm-hmm, right let mm-hmm. me let me help you through this let me help you out of this and so we think that we can talk them down from their pain or their trauma and i have to remind addicts on a regular basis that while you created the pain and the trauma you are not going to be the fix mm-hmm, for this mm-hmm. your focus needs to be on fixing you and and finding your recovery and being consistent, um, and I love Gary's statement that you can't, you can't have it, these expectations that she's going to trust you. All you can do is trust mm-hmm. and be trustable. Yeah. Right. And that ultimately, her fix, what's going to help her get healthy, is going to be the work she does with her therapist. Exactly right. As an addict, you're a support for that, and and you can hold space for that, and you can be present with her while she goes through that, but you cannot fix this for her.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the crucial just, part.
1: Just exactly like nobody can fix your addiction for you. Yep. Right?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yep, that's that. That's definitely it. And and I know I was very guilty of that, and I struggled with that for quite a while. Yeah. You know, because you know, in, in the addiction, we, we jump to this fix-it, because that's what we do. You know, we have emotions come up or something we can't handle or process, so we fix it. You know, we go to our... Um, to our drug of choice, and you know that that fixes things and smooths things over for a while. Then the next thing comes up because, well, you know, now we're feeling guilty, or it's come up and someone's discovered it, so we try to fix it again, and it just kind of sends us spiraling over and over. So we're, we're kind of in that mode where if something comes up with our spouse or our kids, we just want to fix it, it yeah. get g- get past this pain or this this frustration we're feeling.
1: Maybe. Now, both of you feel free to jump in on this comment. Oh, a, I will. This yes, I know you will. <laughs> yes, you will. But but I throw that out there because this is this is just kind of a a thought that I'm having as I articulated. But um, trauma trauma was once described to me, you know, where there's an event. Okay, there's an event, and it might be dangerous. It might be, mm-hmm. you know, frightening. It might be something, and and. In order to survive, you can't deal with the emotions of the situation in the moment. You have to kind of push that away, and then you deal with what's going on. But eventually, those have to be dealt with. That 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 was I don't know where I picked that up from. I read it somewhere, listened to it in a podcast. But it was an interesting idea. I don't know how accurate a model it is, but essentially the idea is is that, you know. When the time is right, and you're you're in a place that you can start to deal with that, you get to bring all of that back and deal with it somehow.
0: Yeah,
1: you know, in order before before you
0: before it's actually resolved. Something that i kind of used to kind of help in my own mind picture it mm-hmm. is uh, <clears throat> trauma is like a lightning strike on on the beach, where it's just like really quick, it's there, and at the surface level, it looks okay and never, it's over. But when you start digging down, you see all the little tendrils of, that's now turned into glass. It's dug mm-hmm. down through the sand, you know, and you have to deal with
2: all of that. You know, I think that um, it's it's easy to forget, and I spend a lot of time talking with addicts about uh, what we call the window of tolerance.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: <clears throat> Every person has uh, a window of tolerance that allows them to deal with the ups and downs of life, and and where that comes from. There's a nice pleasant drawing that goes with it it'll be hard for me to draw that for you on a podcast but um, that baseline is where we tend to try to stay knowing that the highs and lows of life will move us off that baseline from time to time Um, on either side top or bottom of that window of tolerance is that saturation point right where once I cross that saturation point that's when my trauma responses kick in mm-hmm. um, if you if you remember the in the <clears throat> the nervous system uh, when that trauma is activated we're left with three responses right fight flight or freeze um, on the upper end of that window of tolerance when people are overly activated on um, that high energy level we end up with fight or flight when people have been traumatized to the point that they numb out or, or close off, that's down at the bottom level of that window of tolerance where they freeze. Um, so the emotions are there and they're mm-hmm. part of that all the way through, um, but a person's window of tolerance will be what really defines how well they can walk through that trauma, okay. how long that takes, um, what they need to do with that. And the more that we can strengthen and support the development of that window, that window of tolerance, Um, the more resiliency people can develop to to be able to manage those things. This is where I think addicts can be a a real strong support to their betrayed partner in having patience and holding space while they work through those trauma pieces. I think it's easy to forget that there are three recovery processes going on all the time in this situation. We've got the addict's recovery from the addiction. We've got the partner's recovery from the betrayal trauma. And then we've got the relationship recovery Mm -hmm. and the damage that's been done there. So let's not get too selfish Mm -hmm. in our own focus or our own thoughts around our recovery and what we need when there are two others being activated at the same time.
0: I'm thinking of Mike's, there's a story that Mike said in, in group one night where he was talking about how he was making his bed and then he wanted accolades for making the bed and his wife's like, what for? You want accolades for doing what you should have always been doing, and I think that's kind of.
2: You mean the bed that you slept in? Yeah,
0: yeah, the bed you slept in. But, you want uh, credit
2: for making the bed that you slept? I,
0: in. I think that's maybe a little bit of what we're kind of dealing with here. You know, yes, it's been great that he's got two years of recovery, but he's kind of maybe wanting some accolades. Like, look, look at me, look what I've done. Mm-hmm. When you know the wife's kind of like, should have been doing this the whole time.
2: Which is great. I mean, we all appreciate being acknowledged for the good work that we're doing yeah. and, and the things that are happening. But we also have to balance that, and this is, you know, again, this is an addict struggle, yeah. finding balance. Uh, addicts have a tendency to do everything in excess, and so we're constantly finding balance. It, it's going to be important sometimes to give yourself that pat on the back and not expect others to see or, mm-hmm. or notice or give those accolades. You may have to do that for yourself at times.
0: Yeah, or, or, you know, 12-step. I mean, that's, that's a great place. Uh, you know, and I quit relying on my ex to do that you know getting those tokens those chips or you know they mean a lot yeah and you know that's kind of an accolade let alone you know there's uh, individuals there that are going to be like man that's great congratulations so you can get that in a different way because
1: you guys, you guys ever noticed that sometimes sometimes i would reflect and i think hmm, i'm doing a little bit better than i think but it's in a way that I didn't think that I would, (laughs) you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, Oh, so I don't know.
2: It's interesting as we get into our advanced groups, um, our Sage two group, our Sage three group, um, working through the recovery zone workbooks, how many times we refer back to reminding addicts when they first came into my office, their, their mindset around sobriety was I just need to stop looking at pornography and masturbating. Right. Yeah. Right. And, how much deeper that process goes when you get into stage two and stage three. Yeah, <clears throat> and we'll sometimes joke and laugh that you know there was a time when you thought this was just about giving up porn and masturbation. Mm-hmm. Now you're really realizing the the far-reaching tendrils, if you will, yeah. that go throughout the the course and history of your life and and even catapulting you forward.
1: Yeah, it's way more
0: than just ceasing the behavior. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, in my own my own life, you know, that's what I thought coming in. Oh yeah, that's it. No, I had to dive in and I've had to work on my, you know, my abuse from my childhood and, you know, a bunch of other things that just was underneath, you know, those roots, those tendrils that were just feeding my addiction that I was avoiding and running from.
2: Well, that would be another invitation to this, this listener who who sent us in this question. Um, two years of sobriety is wonderful and I applaud you. Um, but, but, don't stop there, yeah. right? Keep digging, keep looking in because there are deeper issues and deeper pieces that you may not know completely how they're affecting you and your interaction with mm-hmm. your spouse right now.
1: There may be still
2: that work for you to do in order to help keep her safe.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also very fair to say that, you know, keep going because your recovery will look very different even in another six or 12 months. Right. You know?
0: Yeah. or than a year from now. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, before we wrap it up, there's just one thing I want you to do. You've used a phrase a couple times, Shane, that I really, really like. <clears throat> and it's not one that we've used on the on the podcast before, but I like it. I just want you to kind of explain explain it a little bit. You, you, you kept using the phrase, hold some space for it. Oh. You're going to have to hold some space for it. So just kind of clarify that a little bit. I,
2: sure. Um, it's a little bit of a nebulous idea maybe, but... Um, Holding space for your partner means understanding that, as an addict, we, we live very selfish lives. Our thoughts and our feelings and our experiences are all about what makes me feel good in the moment. Yeah. In recovery, we learn that while my, my recovery process has to be just as selfish, I have to do this process for me. I can't do it for my wife. I can't do it for my church. I can't do it for my family. I can't do it for my friends. I have to do this recovery for me. A big part of doing that recovery for me means understanding the importance that she plays in my life, and holding space means recognizing the damage that I've done, how I've created this hurt and this harm for her, and that I now need to be a safe space, a safe place for her to be able to talk about it, for her to be able to emote, for her to be able to share, for her to be able to break down, um, throw fits if she wants to, or stomp her feet or yell and scream without me negatively reacting to that Mm -hmm. holding space means i understand that i created this mess in you and i'm going to be that safe place for you to be able to share it and process it and walk through it i hope that helps
1: yeah yeah i like that give it a go practice yes definitely practice
0: it all right all right We're
1: we're out of time so thank you so much for joining us. This is Gary saying, do the next right thing.
0: And this is Daniel saying, find the humility
1: in your recovery. Got anything to say, say Or say, Shay? Hey, I'm just happy to be here. Thanks just for much. Save me. some space for it. <laughs> thank you for listening to the podcast.
0: We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, thoughts, or concerns, or have any suggestions for future episodes, please contact us at 12steppodcast at gmail.com. That is 1-2-T-H-STEP-PODCAST at gmail.com. As a fellowship of recovering addicts, Sex Addicts Anonymous offers a message of hope to anyone who suffers from sex addiction. Check out saa-recovery.org.